Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning, this parable from Matthew chapter 20 that I've read to you just a few moments ago. Well, here we are once again with another vineyard story. But this is a story about a life lived with meaning and purpose and deep satisfaction that also has a warning not to fall into the trap of living that life by comparison. So to get at it this morning, what I'd like to do is just consider three simple aspects of this parable. First of all, the vineyard and the master of the house, then the workers, and then the payday. What's this vineyard that we're talking about that the master calls workers into? And then what does it actually mean to be called to work in that vineyard? And finally, what, what's the payday? First of all, then, what's the vineyard? Well, first of all, what I would like for us to do is to zoom all of the way out. I want us to go way up into space, and I want to look at the whole planet Earth from the International Space Station perspective. You've seen those pictures, haven't you? Because the vineyard in this parable, which we've been talking about as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, is the world put right. So from that perspective, imagine that God created the world. He put us in it as the pinnacle of all that he has made. And he said, listen, quote, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And then on the seventh day, God rested, which means that he stopped to enjoy what he had made. And then he invited the whole human race to do the same, to enjoy him and all of the fruits of their labor that was the plan. Of course, we learned last week, didn't we, that while God presents himself as the owner and we were designed to be the tenants, blessed to work in the beauty of all that he has made for us, experiencing the full, deep satisfaction of living and working and resting in his presence, until, of course, humanity decided to take ownership away from God and all hell broke loose. Amazingly, however, God did not simply abandon his plan. Instead, he began immediately to, to work at restoring it all to make a new heaven and a new earth. And he did that in a rather surprising and remarkable way. What he did was he started calling people through whom he would work to bring about that restoration. So go home and read the whole Old Testament this afternoon. <laughs> and make a note. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, King David, the 12 tribes of Israel, all of them called by God to come work in his vineyard to be the light to the nations in order to draw the entire human race back to himself. If you look at this parable carefully, you will once again notice God's infinite persistence with his creation, that is, with us. Because the master of the house doesn't just go out once at the first hour, but at the third hour and the sixth hour and even at the eleventh hour, seeking and calling workers to come and to work in the restoration of this world put right. 
Now, that restoration work has been from the very beginning and always will be until the end God's promise to send a Savior and his fulfillment of that promise in Jesus. So from Adam and Eve all the way to the Virgin Mary, God had been saying over and over again, I'm going to send a Savior, I'm going to send a Savior. No, really, just wait. I'm going to send a Savior. And then that's what he did. Jesus is the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, present everywhere, second person of the one and only triune God who was with the Father and the Spirit at the creation, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and was born of the Virgin Mary. In other words, God took on human flesh and blood in the person of Jesus and was born as a man into this broken and dying world in order to accomplish exactly what needed to be done for its restoration. Now, when we zoom out like that, and we take this long view of the parable, does it not become immediately apparent that compared to Noah... You and I are 11th hour Johnny-come-latelys to this party. <laughs> Look, whether you are here this morning, born in the year 1922, baptized as an infant, and have been participating in the life of the church every day since then, or you happen to somehow wander in here accidentally this morning, and the Holy Spirit has grabbed hold of you and said, sit down and pay attention to this, Every one of us here are 11th hour workers. But for the sake of the application of the parable, I want now to zoom in. I want to narrow the focus. Because you see, I think that we can make this parable speak to our personal lifetime, however long that may be, or to the past week, or to the next week, or at least to the last 24 hours. So let's ask the second question. What does it mean to be called to work in the vineyard? We've said it over and over again. The kingdom, the vineyard, is the world put right through faith and the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised coming again of Jesus. Every one of you through faith this morning has been put right with God, put right with one another, put right with the whole creation. Therefore, Jesus calls us to keep turning around from our incessant personal kingdom building and enter into the kingdom that he has brought for us by believing, by believing the good news. That is, start living every moment of every day with the certainty that through faith in Jesus, new life has been released in you and God is about the business of restoring his creation, making you shining lights in this present darkness. So let's evaluate your life, your week, the last 24 hours. Now, I came across an excerpt from a sermon 
preached by John Piper. And as a qualifier, John Piper is not a Lutheran, and I do not agree with all that he teaches, but one thing that Piper can do in a way like almost no other preacher is to present such a glorious and wonderful picture of God and his kingdom that it draws you in. And so this particular sermon was delivered in the year 2000 at an outdoor event on a rainy, windy day that had about 40,000 people in attendance. And the title of his sermon was, Don't Waste Your Life. And so Piper had just finished telling the story about Ruby and Laura, who in their 80s had spent their life serving others and died as missionaries in Cameroon. Their death, he said, though, was, was not a tragedy because they had given their lives to something that mattered. And then he held up an article from Reader's Digest and he said, this is a tragedy. The title of the article was, Start Now, Retire Early. And the story was about Bob and Penny who took early retirement five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. And now they live, of course, in all places in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy, Piper said. And he went on, there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you. Now, remember I said he wasn't a Lutheran, I get 20 minutes at best. <laughs> but don't buy it, he pleaded. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, and a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you have done with what he has entrusted to you. There it is, Lord, my shell collection. <laughs> then he concluded, well, not for Ruby and Laura, don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Now, I'm going to tell you that I have no idea whether Piper was being fair with Bob and Penny. And in case you're feeling a little nervous, I also want to tell you that I actually believe that it is possible to retire early and not waste your life. But the question is, are you? Jesus calls us to come and work in the vineyard, in the world put right, in his kingdom by being consciously aware that every single breath, that every heartbeat is a moment of restoration through the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. And that is a mindset, that is an attitude that clings to the unimaginable kingdom of God that is happening right now in the midst of your everyday ordinary life.
So let me unpack my life briefly in front of you. Because that's what I think this parable is calling us to do. I was baptized at two weeks old. I am a first-hour worker within the time frame of my own experience. But there have been third and sixth and ninth hour moments in my life. As a middle schooler lighting the candles for worship, I can remember this strange sense of the presence of God that I dismissed. Resisting the idea of being a pastor, I wound up here anyway. And my second year out of seminary, my sister died at age 34, and I was backed into a corner where I had to decide whether or not this was just a job or this was something that I really, truly believe. Then came the call to St. Luke's 23 years ago that fed my ego and that enticed me toward thinking that this could actually become the kingdom of Wally. And even an 11th hour moment, as I spoke with you again the words of the confession this morning, and heard the words of forgiveness and new life flood in. But here's the problem. Here's the reason that Jesus told this parable. If you back up into chapter 19, what you'll find is a rich young man seeking to find out from Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And after a brief conversation, Jesus said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the rich young man went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Then Jesus turned and he started to teach the disciples how hard it was for a rich man to actually enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are incredulous. And they ask, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And then Peter turns around and goes, what about us? We've given up everything to follow you. Now listen carefully to Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit, inherit eternal life. Now the last line is critical, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, whatever all of that means, we're going to get to the payday in just a minute, it is truly unimaginable. But mark Jesus' words, it will not be because you have given up all of those things, it will be an act of grace, whether you were the first to come in or the last. 
Now, in the meantime, you and I live in a culture of comparison, and we are constantly being tempted to look at our lives and what we have done and what we have given up and then begrudge the generosity of God and so lose our focus on the joy of simply being a worker in the kingdom, which is, in fact, the agenda that is driving the history of this world toward its final day. Look, it's easy for me to find myself being critical and condemning and just plain irritated with God because His ways are not my ways. I mean, why would God allow my sister to die at age 34 when there were so many losers and troublemakers in the world? You see, it is easy to look at the struggles and the hardships of our lives and then compare it to to others and then utter these kingdom-crippling words. It's not fair. And Jesus told this story to nip that in the bud, to stop that pattern that we are all prone to. And to instead say, thank God he is not fair. Rather, instead, God is gracious and he is merciful and he is slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. And if that were not so, none of us 11th hour people would even be here. I've talked about the vineyard. I've talked about the kingdom of God And the call to live a life of purpose by working consciously and intentionally with every breath and every beat of your heart, the confidence that God is restoring his kingdom in you and through you. So let's close and talk for just a minute about the payday. For you see, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And it turns out that Jesus is the one and only fully engaged vineyard worker there has ever been who from eternity to eternity has worked with the Father and the Holy Spirit to put the world right. And as we were studying the text this week, Pastor Tige it was who noticed, oh, these third, sixth, and ninth hour references also show up in the account of Jesus' death on the cross. Crucified at the third hour, which would be 9 a.m., darkness came over the earth from the sixth to the ninth hour. That would be from noon to 3 p.m. And at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there is even an eleventh hour confession by the thief on the cross and Jesus' gracious words to him, Today, you will be with me in paradise and there it is the payday the problem in the parable occurred when the first hour workers took their eyes off of the generosity of the master of the house and started looking at the people around them and in that moment, all of the joy and the satisfaction of life being lived with a purpose and with meaning was sucked out of them, and they turned an evil eye on the master 
They begrudged his generosity, that is, his grace, and they began to grumble. Now, once again, Jesus leaves uh, this story without an ending. What happened next? What happened to the first hour workers? Well, that's the question that you get to answer this week. And here's how I would recommend you do it. Reflect, recognize, repent, and rejoice. Reflect, recognize, repent, and rejoice. Reflect, people, every day. Take a moment and stop and look over the past 24 hours. What happened? What were you thinking? Who did you interact with? What did you say? How did you feel? What did you do? And then consciously recognize the moments where you shined like a star with the confidence of being a forgiven worker in the vineyard alongside of the moments where you completely forgot and you took your eyes off Jesus when you looked at someone else with an evil eye and you grumbled it's not fair and then repent both your successes and your failures. What? Yes, even your successes because people, they don't merit your payday. You're not here accumulating success in order to pay your own way into the new heaven and the new earth. It is all grace all of the time and your failures are merely an opportunity to learn and to grow in that grace. And then rejoice. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Rejoice in your suffering and in your successes because this is the unimaginable kingdom of God here and now that by grace you are a worker in that vineyard. Amen. Now the peace that passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.